0: God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you want to be a governor in this great land of ours, you better look through all your yearbook photos first. You know, there just might be an incriminating photo of you there somewhere that might make you think twice about running for office. Want to be a Supreme Court Justice of the United States? Well, if your youthful sexual aggressiveness was towards anyone other than your current spouse, you might want to pick a lesser job out of the public eye. Hey, even if all you want to do is host the Oscars, better look through your Twitter account. You may have tweeted something years ago that uh, someone will bring up for everyone to see. And the show's over for you before it even get started. It's a thing today, isn't it? You know, your, your past really isn't your past anymore if you want to be someone of importance and influence. In our society today, you can, your past can define your present, which can ultimately define your future. If you want to be a leader in this country, your whole life is expected to be above reproach. From birth, it seems. Now, that wouldn't leave, that wouldn't leave very many people uh, qualified or eligible to lead, though, would it? Figuratively speaking, don't you think everyone, including yourself, has got that incriminating yearbook photo or tweet? Where is it in our hymn book? I think it's in the general prayers, the page 15 service. Remember not the sins of our youth, nor our many transgressions. That's me on the forklift there during Desert Storm. That was an exciting day. That bomb you see there was specially designed to go deep underground and blow up Saddam Hussein and his generals in their secret underground bunker. Our spirits were high. If this new bomb worked, the war could be over soon and we could go home. But ten minutes after this picture was taken, another one was taken of me, having just gotten off the forklift, making an incredibly crude gesture to the cameraman. I can't show it to you. It's too vulgar. Use your imagination. That's all I can say. You wouldn't believe me if you saw it. I didn't believe me. I didn't believe it was me when I saw it. This isn't my film. The guy who took these, I ended up working with him 12 years after these were taken, and he gave me copies. I had never seen them before. I looked at that vulgar picture of me and I told him, well, that's clearly me in the photograph, but I don't remember doing that. Why would I do that? I would never do anything like that today. I didn't run for public office after I retired from the Air Force, but in the pastoral ministry of the church, if anyone at the seminary had gotten hold of that photograph, they would have called me in to explain, could you please tell us about this picture of you, to which I would, my only reply could, would be, well, I was 24. People can change, though. I've changed, and I know you have, too. In an article for CNN, Dean Obadiah says that our leaders should be allowed to evolve. As a nation, we should be open to the power of legitimate transformation and redemption. We need to allow and encourage people to change for the better when it comes to racism, sexism, and other forms of bigotry. And we should applaud those who sincerely change in the hopes it inspires others to do the same. That sounds like a progressively forgiving viewpoint in light of the state of things today, doesn't it? The thing is, couldn't our whole country learn something about change and forgiveness from God? God does indeed legitimately transform and redeem. Not only do we applaud that, We celebrate it as the church. We give thanks to God for the change He's made in our lives. Brothers and sisters, don't be children in your minds, but be infant-like in your desire to do evil. Notice how Paul uses child and infant to set up this comparison for us to learn more or to learn from. Don't be small in your minds. and be even smaller in your ill will. I love that, don't you? We don't talk to each other this way. You know, we're not that close. When it comes to bad behavior, we just assume just say, stop it, knock it off. This assumes that there's change going on or will go on in our minds, which leads to change in the desire to sin. But how? How does this change happen? Well, if we look just within... This chapter of 1 Corinthians, we see it happens through hearing and listening in the church and understanding God's Word in your mind and having the Holy Spirit change you through it. I know that's what happened to me. Had I not come to faith in Jesus Christ and been transformed by the Spirit through continually coming to church and hearing the Word, perhaps I'd still be making crude gestures I'm still not perfect. Don't be around me when I'm cutting back blackberry bushes in my backyard. You know, I'll be calling those bushes names you don't think I should be saying. But I've come a long way. I used to call some people those things. I would never do that today. See? I know the same has happened for you. And there's still room for more transformation. And you know better than I where those changes need to take place, the Spirit knows, so listen to God and hear Him. Paul's main concern with the Corinthians is division in the church, and today that's still something that we need to be vigilant about. We strive for unity and peace, not division, it's not easy. Each one of us thinks we know what's better for the church and what's better for each other. Paul thought that too. In fact, in this whole letter, he's sharing his thoughts as an example for them to follow. But we know Paul is different in some very important ways. He was visited directly by Jesus and was given gifts of the Spirit to spread the name of Jesus in lands that had not heard of Him him yet. So his thoughts about the church are in line with the Spirit's because he's doing the Spirit's work, which is to get the Corinthians to listen and pray in the Spirit and in their minds for themselves and for the benefit of others. The same goes for us. Paul entreats us to be unified, and the whole assembly of believers will benefit for the greater good and to God's glory. Now, Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. There were people there of many languages that came to know Christ and joined the church as it was. And, you know, at that time it was worshiping in people's houses. So there were lots of little congregations in a town, in a city like Corinth. Apparently, though, there was some division about which language to speak and whether or not just speaking any tongue would do the Spirit's work regardless of who was listening or regardless of who came into the house to join in and hear. Paul says no to this. If an unbeliever comes into your house of worship and hears people speaking in different languages, he's going to think you're all crazy. And what benefit is it to him? Have an interpreter there to speak so all can understand. It's a gift that the... Holy Spirit gives, not to everyone, but to some. This was a problem in Luther's day, even 500 years later. The worship services on Sundays were all spoken in Latin, and the townspeople were German. They didn't know Latin. Only the priests did. There was no interpreter. But the church had come to believe at the time that it didn't matter. Just having the people sit there and hear the Latin Mass was enough. It was participation in the faith in the life of the church. And that was good enough. But it wasn't. Because faith comes by hearing and understanding the gospel. And change to be more like Christ comes through the same. How do you expect to be transformed, to be more like Christ, if you don't participate in the Spirit's activity through the spoken and understood word. As good or bad as I am at preaching, I'm speaking a language at least you can understand, right? Unless I'm preaching rank heresy, which you would know if I did, change will occur, and it does, even if you don't feel it or realize it. You and I have heard God say to us over and over again, we have not loved Him with our whole heart. We have not loved others as much as ourselves. We justly deserve the consequences of our sin here on earth and for eternity. This bad news cuts to the heart and convicts us. Hopefully, it convicts us. God also says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Deceiving ourselves of the truth is a sin. That's a sin too. So none of us can escape the judgment. No matter how much we tell ourselves we're a good person. But there's another judgment you've also heard again and again. And that's the judgment that you are all innocent of sin on account of Jesus Christ taking it from you and crucifying it on the cross with His life instead of yours as the payment. On top of that, he came back from death and lives forever so that you live too, forever. This is the gospel, the good news that creates faith and brings forth fruit of sincere participation in the worship life of the church for your good and for the good of others. At one time, this gospel changed you instantly to be more like Christ at your baptism. Since then, the Spirit has been at work continually changing you for the betterment and especially for the betterment of others as we have learned from the text today from 1 Corinthians. May Jesus Christ give you an ever-increasing measure of the maturity to desire the betterment of your brother and sister human beings in the church and outside of it as well, and pursue the gifts that build them up in your love, so that our congregation may confess Him, Jesus Christ, with one voice and in one spirit, amen.